what are the four worst words that you and I could ever hear? Let me suggest a few contenders. You were not successful. A person might hear those words if they failed an exam or a driving test, and I have to admit that I've heard those words more than once uh, after driving tests that I've taken in many years gone by. Uh, they might be heard after a job interview or something of that kind. You were not successful. And they'd be hard words to hear, wouldn't they? To hear them being said to us. Well, how about these words? I won't marry you. They would be words that would be heard after a marriage proposal had been made, but it wasn't wanted. And they would be, thankfully I haven't heard those words said to me, but they would be very painful words, I'm quite sure. Well, how about these even more uh, serious words? You have terminal cancer. Those four words would be heard after lots of tests had taken place in a hospital to find out the diagnosis of certain symptoms that a person would have been displaying. And I'm quite certain they would be terrible words for a person to hear. Well, how about these four words? Your dad has died. They are words that I have heard along with my older and younger brother way back in 1978. And they were, I can tell you, devastating words to hear. Yet it might surprise you to know that none of the above are anywhere close to being the, the four worst words that you could ever hear. You see, there is something harder to hear. There is something more painful to hear. There is something more terrible to hear. And there is something more devastating to hear. So what are they? What are the four worst words a person could ever hear? Well, they are recorded for us in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 23. If you've got your, your Bible on your lap, you might want to uh, open that up and turn to those that they were mentioned in the reading that Marion read to us a little earlier on. Matthew 7 verse 23. Now, in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, they are only uh, made up of three words. But here in our English translation, they are four words. And these are the words, I never knew you. I never knew you. And if these words really are the worst a person could ever hear, then they're surely important words for us to think very carefully about. And we're going to try and do that this morning under three headings. And the first one is this. These are words of Jesus. They were spoken by the Lord Jesus as he was drawing to a close what has become to be regarded as the most famous sermon that he ever preached. In fact, they're probably... Uh, more than that, the most famous uh, sermon that has ever been preached by anyone. Now, many sermons are given titles, and this one uh, is no exception. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it was simply given that name because of the location of which, uh, where Jesus preached it. 
Now, the content of that sermon was that it was about God, what he's like, and what his kingdom is like. And what Jesus was doing in that sermon was calling people to reconsider their understanding of who God was and who God is and what he desires of them. And of great importance, the Lord Jesus laid down was the fact that God is interested not in what we're like on the outside that the world puts so much attention to and has always done so, but God is concerned about the inside of us, our hearts. Not external good things we do or external religious actions we carry out, but what is going on within, what we think of God inside. And he called people in that sermon to humbly enter his kingdom and begin a radically new life with him at the very center of that life. Now, in the reading that we heard earlier on, Jesus was beginning to wind up this great sermon and he was warning that mere professions of faith in him were not enough to be part of his everlasting kingdom. He said that people needed to have changed hearts and changed lives to really be his disciples. And then he goes on to warn that there would be those who would make a pretense of being his followers and even those who would go further than that, who would actually be false teachers in order to gain a following for themselves and in order in their minds to be part of God's kingdom. And Jesus wanted such people to know that one day they would be exposed by him and their fate would be absolutely horrific. And of course, there's a, a real sense, isn't there, that what those people needed to hear, well, we still need to hear today. We have to remember, don't we, that before the, the gospel can ever be good news, we have to understand the bad news of our sin and the potential consequences of not only living in our sin, but dying in our sin. And the Lord Jesus was very clear about not only sin itself, but those awful consequences. And that means he not only preached about heaven, he preached about hell as well. A little quotation from a, a man called Michael Green, an, an evangelist for many years in the Church of England. And he said this, People deserve to know from the evangelist's mouth what Jesus taught about heaven and hell. And it seems to me that too many preachers today, they want to do their best to avoid subjects like hell. But surely in doing so, if Jesus taught about it, then they are not really fulfilling their call from Jesus if they deliberately avoid subjects that they know are going to be at the very least unpopular to their own generation or at worst totally unacceptable to their generation. Now, perhaps some are very surprised 
that Jesus would ever speak words like the words we're thinking about this morning. I never knew you. But he did. He really did speak those words. Even though, yes, he's approaching the end of what was, in many ways, we could say a beautiful sermon. But he needed people to think very carefully about the danger of rejecting the contents of that beautiful sermon. Now, at times, we may only like to think of gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And of course, in many ways, that is a lovely part of his divine uh, character. But it's not the, the fullness of his divine character, because we need to remember some of the titles given to him in the Bible, that he's the Lord of glory, that he's the head of the church, that he's the king of kings and the Lord of of lords, and that he's been appointed to be the judge of the world. Now, I wonder if, if the Bible had just told us that it was going to be an angel, just an angel on, on that day. And this is obviously referring to the final day, the day of judgment, when all our deeds will be exposed uh, before, uh, before God. If just an angel was going to say to us, uh, or if we risk this happening, I never knew you, then maybe we wouldn't think it was quite so uh, bad a prospect. After all, angels, well, we know they're, they're holy beings, they're servants of God, but they don't have the same authority as Jesus. They don't have the same status uh, as Jesus. And after all, like us, they are worshippers. They're not beings that are worshipped. And like us, in a sense, they're servants. They're not ones who are to be served. But these words are not going to be spoken by an angel, are they? They are going to be spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is infinitely greater and more powerful than any angel of God serving him night and day gathered around that glorious throne in heaven. And therefore, we must surely take very, very seriously every word he spoke, particularly a word that potentially could apply to us in the future. And, and the terror of, of what that really could mean for us in the future. We, we can't possibly just have a, a casual attitude to his words, particularly his words about the judgment of God. We thought just for a moment about angels, but let, let's just think for a moment about lesser beings than they. Just imagine for a moment that you were asked to compile a list of 100 names of the, the most important person that you consider have ever lived on planet Earth. 
and I suppose it would take quite a while to come up with a list of a uh, hundred names like that, but they would probably be a mixture, wouldn't they, of, of generals, monarchs, uh, prime ministers, presidents, people in medicine, scientific discovery and architecture. They might be people from music and sport and art. They might be from philosophy and religion. Now imagine you, you've, you've not only got your list uh, on a piece of paper of all those people throughout history, but then I want you to stretch your imagination a little bit more now because imagine for a moment that those 100 people were all lined up uh, to one side of you and they were all going to parade past you and you hope were going to speak to you. And that's what happens. They all go by one by one and they all say exactly the same thing to you. I never knew you. I never knew you. I never knew you. Now... After just hearing that four or five times, you'd probably feel a bit crestfallen. But by the time it got to 98, 99, 90... Uh, after 99's 100, by the way. Not, oh, glad my children aren't here because they would never let me forget that. But of course you will, so that's good. But you'd be pretty upset, and I think I would be too, to have heard that by these people we've greatly esteemed, these high and mighty and important people, and they've all said exactly the same to us. I never knew you. We'd be upset, wouldn't we? But then if we, we step back from that and thought for a minute, yeah, okay, I, I'd be upset for a little while, maybe even for a couple of days or, or a, a week, but... After that, would it really be of any consequence? Even those, those people that the, the whole world might revere as being great men or great women, great leaders, whatever they were, in the grand scheme of things, it really wouldn't mean much to us whether they knew us or not. But what a tremendous difference to think that Jesus Christ the God-man, the saviour and redeemer, the Lord of life. The prospect of hearing him say those words to us. Well, in the grand scheme of things, surely that would be a very big deal indeed. Or we ought to begin to think of it as such because of who he is. And of course, those great leaders, they lived and they died. Jesus lives forever. He's God. He's the eternal God. He's, he's come down to this world to be the only way by which we might be reconciled to our maker, that we might be uh, washed clean of all our sin, that we might have a hope of going to heaven when we die. What he thinks, what he would say about us, that is really what counts and in a sense, it's the only thing that counts. We can't afford even to play it down, let alone to write it off. These are the words of Jesus. But secondly, these are words about our relationship with Jesus. In this case, though, it's actually the lack of relationship which is the issue. Some of you may have heard of a, 
a, a Christian book called The Vow by someone called Kim Carpenter. I haven't read it myself, but my daughter, uh, one of my daughters told me all about it, and it was eventually turned into a film. And it's a true story about a young couple who were happily married and everything was going well until sadly one day the young wife was involved in a terrible accident, and as a result, she suffered the most awful amnesia. In fact, the amnesia was so bad that when her husband went to see her in hospital, she didn't recognize him. He was, to her, a complete stranger. She didn't know him because she had this tremendous problem. Well, thankfully, as the book and as the theme progresses, she gets her memory back, and they all live happily ever after, which is always nice, isn't it? but not here in the scenario that Jesus is describing. You see, the reason Jesus doesn't know the person that he will be speaking to is not because of anything deficient in him, not at all. The deficiency will lie in them, in the person who is going to hear those words of Jesus, I never knew you. They are the ones who will have had the problem. They were the ones who needed to have had their lives changed by Jesus, but they didn't. And what's very, well, frightening in a sense about those people is that they were religious people. They were people who attended church every week. They were people who, if you listened to them during the service, they would have said and done all the right things. And if you spoke to them either before or after the service, they'd have been saying all the right things then too. And they even professed personal faith in Jesus. They could be heard to refer to him as Lord. I don't know if you've ever noticed when you're talking to non-Christians very few would ever speak of God as Lord. That tends to be how we, as believers, speak of him. That's not exclusively correct, but in the main, non-Christians tend to speak of, of God, don't they, or the Almighty. But these people that Jesus is going to speak to, they would have referred to him as Lord, like a, a true Christian would do. And Jesus explains a little more about what these people will have been in their lives. He says that some of them will, will try to boast on that day that they weren't just Christians, but they were Christian prophets. Just one problem. They were prophets that Jesus hadn't sent. And there are, there are men like that littered throughout the Bible, aren't there, who claim to be prophets, but... They turned out to be false prophets, like Balaam is an example in the Old Testament. And someone like Caiaphas, the high priest, at Jesus' trial, he prophesied uh, before Jesus was in attendance that one person was going to have to die for the nation. He didn't, I don't suppose he even realized he was prophesying. But he was a false prophet. We know there are not prophets like that 
in the world today. And, and we might say that the nearest thing, though in many ways a long way from that, are, are, are preachers and ministers. But we need to realize that if we ever hear of any preacher, any pastor, any church leader, and you hear them say that the, the, the basis of their uh, going to heaven when they die will be, well, because I occupied this pulpit, or I occupied that pulpit. I led this church, or I led that church. If you ever hear a man saying anything like that, you can be certain of one thing. They're not true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, a real Christian standing before God and hearing the question, what qualifies you to enter here? A real Christian will only have one response. And we won't be pointing at ourselves and saying, well, because of this and because of that, and I, and I did this and I did that. No, if a real Christian entered God's presence after life and was asked, well, why should I let you into heaven? The only thing we would be able to do in response would be to point to Jesus and say, because of him, I want, to I want to come into heaven. I'm only qualified to come into heaven because of him and what he did to be my savior. And we sadly need to be concerned of any that we may meet who are trusting their salvation in anything else but Jesus, his righteousness, his blood that we were singing of uh, earlier on in our service. But the Lord goes on in this passage uh, to even forecast that there'll be some people who will even have been enabled to perform some kind of miraculous acts, and yet even they may not. Or as the case will be for some, definitely will not be given a place in God's eternal kingdom of heaven. Because you see, even being able to perform miracles is no guarantee of acceptance by God. I came across a lovely quote by the great Bible commentator Matthew Henry, who put it so well when he said this, grace will bring a man to heaven without working miracles. But working miracles will never bring a man to heaven without grace. It's experiencing the grace of God in our hearts that transforms us. That is what counts. That is what matters. That is what will gain a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, entrance into heaven. Even though many of those so-called prophets and many of those so-called miraculous workers and others like them, they, they may have been very, very sincere in, uh, in what they thought about what they needed to do to get to heaven. But they were sincerely wrong. And there are people alive today who one day will face Jesus and hear those words, I never knew you, and they will have been sincerely wrong. And so that, that causes me to have to ask you this morning, even you here, 
Are you trying to work your way to heaven instead of trusting in the work that Jesus did to get you to heaven? If you are trying to work your way there by something you think you have to do, then stop right away because it will never work. And how blessed we are that we don't need to try to work our way to heaven because all the work has been done by our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus. Perhaps there will be amongst those people um, the less uh, sincere, those who thought, well, yeah, I need a bit of religion in my, my life. Uh, I need to put on a good show. I need to look good. Sadly for those people, the day will come when they will realize that, yeah, they did a lot to try and look good before men, but they forgot to do anything to look good before God. So what, was, what will have been missing from the lives of those people who will hear these dreadful words, I never knew you? And the answer is very clear and the answer is very simple. It's what Jesus had just said seconds before in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, then Jesus is saying that there, there would be hypocrites in the church. Yes, but we might be thinking, but what will particularly mark them out as being hypocrites? And the answer is the following won't have been true of them. Because the Lord goes on and he says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, the hypocrite is the one who never had a heart to live in obedience to God. The one who didn't experience a change when he came to God and so didn't have any real desire to follow and obey God. If you look down at verse 23 and the, the, the second part of the text, the, the Lord refers to those who never knew him with a little phrase. He calls them workers of lawlessness. Yes, they may have been people who, as we often hear the little phrase today, they could talk the talk but they were not people who walked the walk. They didn't obey God in their lives. It was never a priority. It was never important. Their hearts would never have been in it anyway. <laughs> Instead, they lived according to the, the inclinations of their own hearts. They went their own ways. And of course, that's the natural inclination of every human being that has ever been born into the world, except the Lord Jesus. It's the way we are. It's in our DNA, if you like. Uh, we are wayward creatures. It's a basic fact of our species. You know, the technical name for, our, uh, for a human being is homo sapien. I'd never thought to look up and see what that meant until fairly recently. Homo sapien means wise man. 
But sadly, there's very little wisdom in the human heart. The Bible talks about being wise in our own eyes. And that is by nature what we would rather be. So that even if we think we can get through life without breaking man's laws, we cannot get through a single day without breaking God's laws. And some of those people who will be rejected by Jesus on that last day will be so because they tried to take Jesus on their own terms. And as a result of that, they remained strangers to him. And that, in effect, is exactly what a non-Christian is. It is someone who is a stranger to God, their maker, and to the Lord Jesus, the saviour of sinners. And the amazing thing is that that one who may be a stranger to you right now, through even these words that are are here on uh, the pages of our Bibles, are are an invitation to us to come to know him. And on that basis, can I ask you, are you going to remain a stranger to Jesus? Or will you seek for that to change? You might ask, well, how does someone come to know Jesus? Well, the big word that the Bible uses over and over again, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, is the need for us to repent which simply means to change our mind. And some people have have heard that and they said, oh, it's just about changing your mind. Well, it's about changing your mind about everything. Changing your mind about God. Changing your mind about what you are by nature. Changing your mind about why you're alive. Changing your mind about how it is possible actually to get to heaven. And part of that process of repenting is to humble yourself before God, to acknowledge your sin before God, and to seek with his help to turn away from it. To turn away from your sin and to turn instead to look to and believe in and put your trust upon Jesus. Well, we need to hurry on to our third point, and it's this. These are words that have eternal consequences. Jesus said, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Are we starting to see why these are the worst words a person could ever hear? A person's eternal destination hinges on whether Jesus knows us or not whether we've been forgiven by him or not, whether we've become part of God's family or not, whether we have sought to live our lives in obedience to him or not. So how careful every true Christian must be in how we are living out our lives day by day. How important a place it should be in our list of priorities to obey the saviour we claim To love. And let's remember those words that Jesus spoke in the upper room in Jerusalem. If you love me, keep my commandments. 
It's as straightforward as that. You and I claim to love Jesus, then you and I need to be those who are seeking to obey Jesus every single day of our lives. You know, the the Lord's apostles who began preaching after the, the day of Pentecost, after, of course, the Lord Jesus had returned to heaven, they backed up what the Lord said in their own ministry. Listen to what Peter wrote in his first letter. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Or listen to this double whammy from the Apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonians. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. <coughs> and it will be such who will hear these words on that day of days, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But make no mistake that this departure will not be something temporary. This will be the final sentence on the lawbreaker, on the disobedient, on the faithless. It will be the ultimate goodbye to God and goodbye from God. Those people who hear those words will be sent from his presence forever and forever. They will go from that moment to a place of punishment forever and forever. Some people like to think of hell as being a non-stop party. No, it will be a non-stop prison. We may have bad dreams that thankfully we eventually wake up from. Hell won't just be a bad dream. It will be a conscious, conscious reality that will never, ever come to an end. You know, it's been said that it can be very hard to shake off a bad reputation. That can be true of a sports team. It can be true of the fans of a sports team. It can be true of a business, of a school, of a political body. Sad to say, it can even be true of a church to have a a bad reputation. Well, we've already mentioned the little phrase in verse 23, but we'll just come back to it a moment because this will be a bad reputation that those of whom it is true will never be able to shake off. You workers of lawlessness. Those who will be sent into everlasting torment in hell will be those who were workers of lawlessness. That is what they were on earth, and that is what they will continue to be forever. And there will be no possibility of somehow being able to work off that reputation. It will be too late. It will be a reputation that will stick, and it will never be unstuck. Dear friends, whatever your reputation is today, however good it is or however bad it is, don't end up with that reputation then. 
don't everlastingly be known as a worker of lawlessness. Well, as we draw to a close this morning, may I ask you another question, linking in with where we started earlier on. Have you heard hard words during your lifetime? Have you heard painful words? Have you heard terrible words? Perhaps you've heard devastating words. And if that's the case, I'm so sorry uh, for you in those times. However, there is some tremendous news. Some tremendous news about the four worst words a person could ever hear, I never knew you. Some tremendous news that are true of every one of us here. And it's this. We haven't heard them yet. Jesus hasn't spoken these words to any of us yet. Praise God, many of us in this room have that confidence that he never will speak those words to us yet. Because we do know him, and he knows us. And we have a, a, a wonderful, loving, personal relationship with him as our Savior and our Lord. But there may be others that don't yet have that relationship. And it would be very easy, having heard this sermon this morning, perhaps to go away and feeling very glum about your lot and your situation. But the good news is you haven't heard these words yet. And if you will t truly repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus alone to be your savior, you won't ever have to hear those words either. Just one more little thought before we close. Shouldn't hearing and being reminded of, of the terror of what unbelievers face if they die strangers to the Lord. For those of us who know the Lord, shouldn't these things stir us up with a renewed desire to go to those strangers to God and want to seek to introduce them to the Lord Jesus, to go to them and to gently warn them about the great danger they are in, unconverted. You know, I've been thinking recently uh, about the difference of meeting someone on the street in the open air that probably I'm never going to ever meet again. It's, it's far easier to be very direct and firm with them than it is for those who are closer to home, my two sons who are not Christians. And it's much harder, isn't it, to speak to them about these things, those in our own family, those who are our nearest and dearest. But even for them, shouldn't we be burdened and shouldn't we be praying that the Lord would give us opportunities and, and ways and words to challenge them and warn them too? of the terrible, terrible danger they are in unless they turn to Jesus before it's too late. And if it is too late, then they will have to hear these worst words in the world. I never knew you. Well, may God challenge us as we think of these things. Amen.